Oh, it's, well, it's great to have Greg and Tammy and the, and the family. Great to see you. It's home away from home. But uh, now in his new official capacity, Kingfisher Ministries. Woo! And we have prayed for you. Genuinely, we have prayed for you and we're excited. Um, it is the, the training college's loss, but I believe it is the nation's benefit. Genuinely, um, your desire to equip the church... Um, but also just to reach out and share the good news of Jesus. So we just said to Greg, we really want him to help us and equip us, but we know he's also going to share the good news of Jesus as well. Um, So without further ado, let's just welcome Greg. I think I've turned it on. It's on, isn't it? Yeah, it's on. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here, just as Mark said. Uh, We very much consider, we refer to this as our home church away from home. We live... Well, we did live in Oxford until uh, this last week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday last week, we moved to Whitney. Whitney, as you may know, is a market town, uh, uh, eight miles west of the city of Oxford. And uh, so that's where we're, we're living now. The, the, the children are at school uh, there in Whitney, so they can walk to school now, which is fantastic. And uh, as of January the 1st, as Mark has just said, uh, I've uh, left being employed by the college, Whitcliffe Hall, uh, Oxford. I was teaching theology at Oxford University, training vicars. Um, but now I've set up this uh, charity, uh, as it is, called Kingfisher uh, Ministries. And uh, the, the, this trust is essentially going to employ me to do four things. One, uh, to do evangelism. Uh, to, two, uh, to train the church in evangelism. All of us, all Christians, are called to the work of evangelism. And that's what, I guess, this sermon today, this talk Today, this would come into category two. Okay, number three is to raise up an army of evangelists. That's the phrase that I believe uh, that the Lord has given me. Uh, there are some, uh, it says in Ephesians 4.11, who are called to be evangelists. Um, and uh, uh, not all of us. Um, some of us are called to be evangelists. And, uh, uh, and that's so part of the trust's aim is to raise up specialists, people who are Ephesians 4.11 Evangelists. And it's important to make the distinction, I think. Sometimes we, we don't. I hear even bishops of the Church of England that say, oh, we're all evangelists, they say. Um, but it's a ridiculous uh, thing to say. We wouldn't say we're all pastors. We wouldn't say we're all teachers. You know, some people can't teach to save their life. That's only some vicars I know. But, um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I was chatting to a, a, a pilot, my, our new church in Whitney. I chatted to a, a, a pilot there who's a professional pilot. He teaches people to fly. And we, I was talking to him about this distinction um, you know, are we all evangelists or uh, not? And I said, no, it's ridiculous. We're not all evangelists. I said, imagine if I said to you, oh, well, we're all pilots. Uh, can, I take, can I take you for a fly? Uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, you probably wouldn't come up with me, would you, without my license? We're all, we're all doctors. Let me operate on you. Now, we're, you know, some of us are called to be evangelists. And the reason it's important to make the distinction is two things, that we rob the church of the specialists if we say we're all evangelists. But also, I think we disempower everyone else. Because when an evangelist like me gets up and shares stories of com- people coming to faith, often people feel guilty because they don't make the distinction between the evangelist and what we're all called to do, which is to be witnesses. So the first thing I'd say is that I'm going to share some stories today about people coming to faith. And the purpose of me sharing those stories is, one, to give glory to God, but hopefully to inspire us. Um, it's not to make us feel guilty. And sometimes when an evangelist does that, we can think, oh, you know, here we, here we go again. Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. You know, that's not, that's not the idea, so, you know, um, uh, so that everyone feels guilty. So you think, well, h- how do I get to join in this glorious task of the Great Commission? We're all called to the Great Commission. Go into the whole world, says Jesus, and make disciples. 
he said, and teach them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're called not to make converts. We know that we're called to make disciples. But the contemporary church, huge sections of the church, contemporary church has taken the great commission and it's become the great omission. It's the thing that we're not doing. And so actually, yes, we need to release the evangelists, but also we need to uh, find our own place within the Great Commission. What, what, if, if I'm not an evangelist, and most people here will not be evangelists. In a gathering like this, there might be, I don't know, two or three, on average, there might be two or three of you gathered here who have got uh, the, the, the kind of the gift of the evangelist. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you'll ever be in church work. In fact, it's probably best that you're not in church work, because guess what? That's where the non-Christians are. Uh, you may never preach. There are preacher evangelists, but there are many evangelists I know who would never preach, they're not called to preach, but they're brilliant at gossiping the gospel. You know, you could share the good news at the school gate, and you could just have this infectious love for Jesus Christ and a desire to share the good news. And uh, so you may never be a preacher, you may uh, never get, you probably, probably, almost certainly won't get paid for it, and uh, you probably won't be in, in church work. So it's a charism, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And many, there are many people who have got the gift of the evangelist who are undiagnosed, so to speak, in churches up and down the country. So one of my roles, I think, hopefully, will be to try and diagnose those evangelists and, uh, and uh, maybe get them into a group in churches up and down the country so I can perhaps try, give, them, give them some training and mentoring. So those people who are Ephesians 4.11 evangelists, they need uh, discerning, uh, discipling, and deploying. So that's their number three. And the fourth one, uh, fourth objective is mentoring and training leaders, which is uh, something that I've done uh, for years. So this is what we're thinking about uh, uh, today. We're, we're thinking um, about uh, how we can all be part of this amazing thing called the Great Commission, how we can all be witnesses. And, uh, and to do that, we're going to be thinking of, uh, we're going to be reflecting on a, a passage of Scripture, one of my favorite passage passages of scripture which is uh, describing uh, in narrative form what's sometimes called personal evangelism. So if you've got your Bibles on your phone or uh, hard copies if you're so last century, uh, it's Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40. So Acts uh, chapter 8 verses 26 to 40. So this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, familiar to many of us here and um, where uh, Philip, we know, we know that Philip is an evangelist. We're told that earlier on in the Acts of the Apostles. Philip is uh, winding his way uh, through uh, what we now call Israel, uh, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 miles away. And he comes, he comes across uh, this guy in a chariot who is an Ethiopian. So this guy is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And he's reading uh, from the old, what we call the Old Testament Scriptures. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He's actually reading Isaiah 53 which are called by scholars um, uh, the, the kind of these, these are messianic prophecies. These are prophecies by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born, predicting that God would send his Christ. That's the Greek word Christos. Uh, the Hebrew word is Messiah, uh, which is the king, the, the king that would come, the, the, the king that God would send to rescue his people. So why on earth was a Gentile reading uh, the, the, the Jewish scriptures? Well, almost certainly, certainly he was what, what's called a proselyte. A proselyte was an individual who wasn't a full member of Judaism. He was, he, was, uh, he was a Gentile, but he had come to believe in Israel's God. In other words, he'd, bec he'd become a God-fearer. And so he wasn't a full member of, 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 of the Jewish nation. He was a, a Gentile, but he was, he was a, a, someone who feared God. And so he got hold of himself, obviously, in manuscript form. The Jewish scriptures are part of it. And he was reading uh, Isaiah 53. Philip uh, uh, comes along to him, and he, says to, he sees what, what he's doing, and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? 
And he says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. Philip explains the text to him, and uh, he uses it to explain the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The Jesus event had just happened. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had just come, uh, born in, in Bethlehem, uh, claimed to be none other than the Son of God, uh, and of course had ended his life by being executed uh, by the Romans at the behest of some of the Jewish ruling authorities. And Jesus Christ, after his, uh, his death, he'd risen again to new life. He'd risen again uh, to new life and then ascended uh, to the Father. And it's shortly after the Christ event, so to speak, the, the Jesus event, that this is happening. So we're very close to the Jesus event. Well, that's a paraphrase of the story. Tammy uh, is going to just come and read it to us because it's good to hear the, the, the Scripture read. I just thought I'd uh, freshen our memories as to the story. So it's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. And Tammy's going to read that story to us. Thanks. Hi. Okay, Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they come, came out out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Great. Thank you. Thank you, love. Nice, nice, nice to see you. Um, no, nice to see you, because we arrived on uh, Friday... And uh, this is the first time I've seen my wife, uh, because basically she, she planned a girls' weekend in the flat. And uh, what do you mean? Is it look at Natalie going, girl power, girl power? She, so uh, how many of you were there? Three mums? Yeah, three mums and, and their daughters. So it was a, like a girls' weekend. And uh, so I was told that I was, wasn't welcome. And it's only because I was supposed to be speaking a few weeks ago, got COVID, didn't I, Mark? And so uh, that we, we shifted it to this one. Uh, but I wasn't welcome in my own flat, so I couldn't stay in my own flat. So kindly, Ashley and Hannah, I've been at Ashley and Hannah's for the weekend. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? It's the first I've seen Tammy for the weekend. It's nice to see you, love. Well read. And um, so, uh, 
it's been great at the, at the, the Hoods, and actually two of their, two of their uh, kids, Isabel and Isaac, they were away in Ride for the weekend, so they had a, uh, a room free, so I was able to have a, have a room at the Hoods, which was, uh, which was nice. And, um, and Jonathan, was, Jonathan was there, so the only, the, the only one of their three, was John, Jonathan was at home, and he was, feel, he was feeling a little bit left out because his siblings were having fun. So I came up with an idea, and uh, let's really treat Jonathan. So I, I said... Uh, I'll, I'll pay for it Saturday afternoon. Let's do. So. I said to Jonathan, "What would you like to do? Anything? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. We'll all as a, fa- as a family, me as the kind of uh, interloper. We'll all go, go along and uh, and have, have some fun." And he, he said, "Oh, I'll think about it. I'll think about it." And uh, and then he, was, he, he he wasn't coming up with ideas very much. So I said, "Look, Jonathan, what is there? Is there anything on the Isle of Wight? The whole of the Isle of Wight? Anything that you've never done? You know, it could be the Monkey World or the zoo or whatever. Anything that you've never done that but you'd love to do on the Isle of Wight?" And he went. No. And uh, so uh, that, that was that. So then I thought, oh, well, no, he's obviously exhausted all, the, all that there is to do on, uh, on this island. So I thought, well, what about North Island? So I, th- so I said, I said, what about, let's, why don't we all go to, uh, to ride, get the, get the hovercraft across. Partly I'd never been on the hovercraft. It was a slightly selfish motive. I said, let's all get the ho- hovercraft across. Uh, and I said, then we could go up to Spinnaker Tower. And then he said this. He said, it doesn't intrigue me. <laughs> That's what he said. And now that, that's been the... That has been, we, we laughed and laughed. That's been the catchphrase of the weekend. You know, you know it doesn't intrigue me. And uh, <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know the word intrigue when I was 11, I don't think. Anyway, it doesn't intrigue me. And uh, now it's interesting that this, this t- today, it's the end of the series, isn't it? And it's called Marked by the Gospel. And one of the, thing, one of the things I want to say when I'm thinking about evangelism, uh, think about sharing our faith, um, that uh, I want to say that this, that it's, only, that it's only when we're marked by the gospel will we be able to leave a mark with the gospel. So the question is, I'm asking at the start, is are we marked by the gospel? I know, you know, I presume most of us, well, no, I know most of us are Christians here. There may be one or two who are not. We always welcome people who are seekers and journeying with the community of faith or, or guests. You may be a guest here today. Absolutely fantastic. And... Um, uh, me and Ashley were, uh, we went for bre- breakfast yesterday in Newport to, what was it called? God's Providence House. God's Providence House. And um, I, don't th- I don't think the t- two waitresses are here, are you? No, you're not. But yeah. Because we got talk- talking to the two waitresses there, and um, we were talking about the heritage of the, of the, of the building, and uh, we invited them to come along uh, to church today. So we invite, we invite people to church, and more about that a little bit later. Um, but it's, it's only when we're marked by, by the gospel will we leave our mark um, with the gospel. So are we marked with the gospel? Because it's my conviction going around that there are many uh, people who are not Christians um, that their attitude to Christianity, their attitude to faith um, is simply this, I'm not intrigued. They're not intrigued. People are not intrigued. They're not, they're not fascinated. They think they know what Christianity is all about. And it's not what we know Christianity is about. Christianity uh, at its heart should be massively intriguing. What, it, what, is, uh, what is it to be in, intrigued? Uh, to be intrigued, uh, the dictionary definition is, is to uh, um, uh, have a curiosity about something. That word curiosity. Are people curious about what we believe? I don't think they are most, a lot of people anyway. Um, it's to have a curiosity. To be intrigued is to have a curiosity. It's to have an interest in something. It's to be fascinated by. It's even to be captivated or absorbed or engrossed or riveted. People are, are not. Now, what's the antonym? The antonym is obviously the opposite, of, or, or the opposite of these words. The antonym, the exact opposite, is bored. 
if you look it up. And people assume that Christianity is boring. But how can Christianity be boring? Christianity, if it's, if it's true, which it of course is, is the most exciting news on planet Earth. Jesus Christ is the most exciting, captivating, riveting, absorbing person that it's possible to know. And of course it is possible to know him. Only when we are marked by the gospel will we leave our mark with the gospel. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up, I grew up in Lancaster and um, to, uh, went to a church called Lancaster Priory, this ancient medieval church. Next door to it was Lancaster uh, Castle. And Lancaster Castle um, uh, has the, uh, the kind of, uh, it's one of those macabre facts about it, is that more people have been sentenced to death in Lancaster Castle than any other courts in, in England. And the, 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 there was the Pendle Witch Trial there hundreds of years ago. And uh, some, very sadly, some women were dra- dragged across Pendle Moor and executed for the crime of witchcraft. There's this horrible history there. And you can go around the castle. And I remember going around the castle as a boy, going to the, old, the courts, these ancient courts that uh, are in Lancaster Castle. And by the dock, um, you were, the, the person was in the dock and they were found guilty or not guilty. By the dock, there's this um, metal rod that's hundreds of years old. And it's got a, an M. It's got the top of the metal rod is an M. And if somebody was found guilty, what happened is this metal rod, it was placed in the fire. Obviously, there was a, a real, real fire there. It was, you know, it, was, it, was, it was heated to red hot. And they were marked with this M. They were found guilty. And they were, can you just imagine? imagine I remember, no, no wonder I remember this as a kid. Imagine being marked with this M, you know, on this, this hot metal onto, onto flesh. And it left this M there for life, of course. And I remember as a kid, M stood for malefactor, you know, which basically means criminal, criminal. You're, mar- you're a criminal, you're found guilty. Well, we've been marked with the gospel. It's not an M, uh, it's a C. We are Christ's. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. We are Christ's. The world is, is crying out for identity. Who am I? There are, there are manifestations of that all over the, all over the place. I don't need to uh, illust- illust- illustrate um, but there's, you know, who am I? That's what society is crying out for. Well, the key uh, to knowing who we are is knowing whose we are. We are Christ. We belong to him. I am my beloved, and, and he is mine. We, he, we have been bought at a price, the price of Christ's own blood shed on the cross. So we've been marked by the gospel. We are Christ's. And therefore, the, the gospel should thrill our heart. The gospel should thrill our heart, and it should, it should exude out of us uh, naturally, the best evangelism, I sometimes say, is evangelism from the overflow. Uh, it's not where people are told, evangelize, evangelize. You can't whip people into doing evangelism. All it does is produce guilt. The best thing is, is to become so full of God's Holy Spirit, so passionate about Jesus Christ, that we can't resist giving it away. One of my heroes, you may have heard me quote this before, one of my favorite quotations is Wesley, John Wesley. Um, uh, our new house is called Wes- Wesley House. Uh, we bought this house, this house, it's built in 1769, and it's, it's right next to a, a green called Wood Green. And I did a bit of research, and I found out Wood Green was the l- last place Wesley preached in Whitney. Wesley, Wesley preached, Don Wesley preached 20, about 20 times in Whitney, the market town of Whitney. The last time was in Wood Green, and he preached there as an 80-year-old, an 80-year-old man. And he said, I preached, he said, it's in his diary, I preached, he said, uh, on when Christ comes again in glory. In other words, the second coming of Jesus. And he said, and as I preached, he said, men's hearts melted like wax. And uh, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Men's hearts melted like wax. And I went there to, uh, to have my first quiet. We moved in on Tuesday. Tuesday night was our first night. 
Wednesday, I went and had my first quiet time on the green. It was a bit cold. Uh, I started off, sat on the bench, and I was a bit free. So in the end, I had to walk around the green. So I was walking around the green where Wesley preached. Most of the places Wesley preached have been built over by houses, of course, 250 years later. But Wood Green is exactly as it was. And so I walked around this green. And as I walked, I, 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 I prayed, Lord, I said, may your church be ready for your second coming. I said, may we live in the light of the parousia, the second coming of Jesus. And uh, on, I had on my uh, iPhone, um, uh, I played at the, the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is uh, by Charles Wesley, John's brother. And it's a hymn actually asking God to send Jesus back to this earth. Maranatha, that's the prayer of the church. Come, Lord Jesus. And I prayed that prayer, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And I wept. I, I, just, I couldn't stop crying. I, I, I was filled with joy, and I'm slightly embarrassed to say, but I don't mind saying, I did a little dance on the green. And uh, some people there were you know, looking, looking at me slightly while they were walking their dogs, and they were thinking, right, he should be locked up. I'm sure they were. And, uh, and I didn't care. I didn't care because I was filled with such joy because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, and he's coming again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's one of the creeds um, of, of the church. And so we called uh, our house Wesley House because um, it was 14 years standing when Wesley preached his last sermon as an octogenarian on Wood Green. And uh, one of the things that uh, Wesley was asked, uh, actually this was his stock answer, sometimes people said, Mr. Wesley, you know, how do you preach with such unction? Old-fashioned word meaning the, the Holy Spirit. Why do you, how do you preach with, with such unction? And he said this, he said, I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. And I love that phrase. You're getting choked up as I was saying it then. I've probably said that 50 times, that quotation. But I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. The best evangelism, brothers and sisters, is from the overflow. It's when our hearts are so uh, on fire with the love of Jesus Christ, with, with gratitude for what God has done in Christ, in saving us, in rescuing us, that we can't resist giving it um, away. Well, a few tips then from Philip um, uh, a few tips from uh, uh, Philip about personal evangelism. So we've, uh, I've, I've paraphrased the story. Tammy has just read it for us. And I think this is an amazing passage because it's really relevant not just for the evangelists, but for all of us who are not evangelists, but we are called to be witnesses. We're called to the work of evangelism. And there are various tips here that I think are relevant to all of us here. That's the, the majority of us here who are Christians but are not evangelists as such. So uh, here's one, one, a few tips then from how to do personal evangelism from Philip. Okay, the first thing uh, is this. First tip is this. Ask questions. Notice in uh, verse uh, 30, uh, we're told Philip, he ran up to the chariot. This is where the Ethiopian was, uh, was reading uh, Isaiah, and he said he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said this, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you are reading? So the first thing Philip did is he started his personal evangelism with a question. Some of us mistakenly start our personal evangelism with uh, a declaration. Uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we, we, might, we might say, uh, uh, something like Jesus is the Son of God, or you know, or you, we might declare what our, our our faith is, but actually Philip starts with a question. I used to be a lecturer at uh, London School of Theology a few years ago, and I had a, con a, a colleague there called Dr. Conrad Gempf. He's still there. He's st he's still lecturing there. He's written a number of books, but one of my favourite books by Conrad is is not designed for academics. It's designed for regular Christians, and it's called Jesus Asked. And uh, I recommend it. If you 
check it on Amazon. You can get it probably about £2.50, something like that. It's called Jesus Asked. And what this simple book does is it looks at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what Conrad was fascinated by is the amount of times Jesus Christ asked questions. Jesus didn't um, go around preaching all the time, although he did preach. Of course he preached. He asked questions. And... um, you know, uh, he asked questions again and again. And do you know, so often when Jesus was asking questions, it wasn't because the Son of God didn't know the answer. It was because Jesus was drawing out of people where they are. He was, he was drawing out of people where they were on their, on their spiritual journey. So, so hence the title of the book, Jesus Asked. And what we see Philip here is asking um, a question. Um, in, in verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? And by asking that question, uh, it it gave an opportunity for him to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's remember that. When 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 we're maybe in a conversation about the gospel, that conversation of the gospel, it may or may not uh, 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 begin, but if it does begin, it it might begin by a question, asking questions. So we think about questions that we can ask our not-yet-Christian friends or peers or work colleagues or whoever it might be. Um, I said already that um, we, moved, we moved house on Monday, Tuesday of last week, just five days ago. And uh, as well as the house, I had to move, I had to clear my office in Oxford, at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford. So two of the removal men, there were six of them working on a house, two of them, I got in the van with them and we went to my office in the center of Oxford and it took about two hours for these guys to pack up my books and to pack up all the furniture, put it in the van and to take it uh, off um, to the new house uh, in, in Whitney, 10 miles away. So I was with these two guys. One was about 30, 31. His name was James. The other guy was 29. Um, Jay, his, game, uh, his, his name was Jay. Yeah, uh, um, and we went into my office, and as soon as we went in, James uh, saw a picture of, 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 uh, of Christ on the cross. And we just walked in, and the first thing James said, he said, ah, oh, look, he said, picture of Christ on the cross. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. And it was, I said, do you know who it's by? And he said, Salvador Dali. It was. It was basically Salvador Dali, the Spanish surrealist. I was surprised my removal man knew this, but he did. But uh, by Spanish surrealist, it was, it was showing uh, a Christ on the cross hovering over the wor- world. It's called Salvador uh, Mundi, savior of the world. And, and so I, I, I then said, um, I said, uh, uh, you know, I said, are you a, are you a Christian? And, uh, and he said, no. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And, and I said, well, how would, what, what would, how would you describe yourself? And he said, well, I, I do believe in God, he said. So, so basically, to, he's theistic, so uh, he's like a lot of people used to be uh, in England. I think more people are agnostic now, but he's like a lot of people used to be theistic. He believes in God, but he's not a Christian. So then I turned to Jay, the younger guy who was, who, who was uh, at, uh, 20, actually. He wasn't 29, 31 and 20. Jay was 20. Turned to Jay, uh, and I said, are you a Christian? He said, no. He said, but there must be something there. That was the phrase he used. And People say that to me again and again, there must be something there. So he would be an agnostic, but no one has ever shared the gospel with him. But his conviction is, well, there must be something there. I just don't know what it is, but there must be something there. So uh, anyway, I then said, look, I'm, uh, they began to pack up my books, and I, I, uh, I, I didn't help them. I just sat there while they were, while they were doing it. That's what we, we, that's what we pay them to do. And I said, look, I'm, I'm a, a vicar. This is, I used to work here. I, tra- I used to train vicars. And I said, I'm, I go around the world sometimes sharing about uh, Christianity. And I said, so I said, you can ask me anything you like. He said, how about, you know, just any, any questions you've got about God? So then they asked me questions. 
And it basically, we did apologetics. It's question after question. How can, an, how can God allow suffering? That was uh, one. Uh, and uh, there were various, various questions. Uh, and at the end of the, at the, end of, uh, they, they packed up the, the, the van at the end of the two hours. Um, I, I said, uh, uh, you know, look, what do you think? I used it as an opportunity to explain the gospel. I shared my testimony. Oh, there's a picture of a bee in my office. And uh, I became a Christian when I, I was looking at bees when I was 11. And I sensed God say, sin stings, but Jesus can take away the sting. So I shared my testimony, which I weaved the gospel into. And I said, I said to them, um, having, having all heard the gospel over two hours, I said, look, would you, do you wanna, you know, would you like to become a Christian? Would you like to give your life to Christ? And both men did, both men. I, I had the privilege of praying with them as both men bowed their head and they gave um, their life to Christ. But it, it started with questions. So it, of course, it, I, was in, I was in the hot seat in the end, uh, answering, but it started with questions where I uh, was saying, you know, do you know, do you know what that piece of work is? Yeah, yeah, Salvador Dali. He said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not a Christian. Question number two, how would you describe yourself? So I, was, I wasn't preaching at him. I, I was asking question, 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 and a question to Jay. And then it swung around, and they were, of course, um, then asking me questions. And uh, they, were, they were kind of hooked. That, you know, they, were, they were clearly not bored. They were asking question after question as they were fascinated. Ask questions. That's, uh, that's the first uh, principle. Okay, the second thing is this is invitation, not coercion. Now, what is coercion? Coercion is if we force anyone, if we, we, you know, we, we force people, we manipulate them, we cajole them in some way. And I sometimes say this, that coercion is the antithesis of the gospel. So when you hear about Christians who are pushy or evangelists who are manipulative, uh, you know, they might be seeking to preach good news or share good news, but they're doing it in a very non-good news way. Because actually God is sovereign. We know that, don't we? God is king. And God could force any of us to know him, but he doesn't. There are no conscripts in God's army. God doesn't command us like a general. He woos us like a lover. He draws us. He draws us in. And he gives us a choice. We can repent and believe the gospel, or we can choose to go our own way and live a life separate from God. So if God doesn't coerce us, who are we to coerce anybody? Well, notice in verse 31, uh, what we're told is, is this. Do you understand what you're reading? Says, uh, says Philip, but the, the response, verse 31, is this, how can I, he says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to him, to me. Uh, and, so, and so we're told he invited Philip to come up and sit next to him, in, in, invited, that's the key word. The Ethiopian official invited Philip, come and sit next to me and explain to me the Bible, basically. Great, great opportunity for a non-Christian, isn't it? Come and sit next to me and explain to me the Bible. That's what he says. So, so Philip doesn't wheedle his way in. He doesn't sort of push him aside, sort of plonk himself down and say, let me explain to you this text or something like that. He waited for the invitation. An invitation is a wonderful motif to do with evangelism. Uh, we know, don't we, that, uh, um, that, uh, that the Alpha is a great way of communicating the gospel. We use Alpha in this, in this church. And Alpha, as we know, is a, is, is a, is a, is a, is a thing. It happens in midweek, uh, often with a meal. There's a talk. And then uh, not yet Christians, non-believers can sit in groups and they can ask any question. We say, don't we, no question is too hostile. We invite any questions that people, that people might have. Um, and we invite, we invite people to Alpha. And this is something that we can all do. Whether we're evangelists or not, we can all invite people to hear the gospel. We're, and even if we feel at sixes and sevens to explain ourselves. Some of us do. We can, we can invite people to Alpha. It's such an easy thing, it's such an easy thing to do. And it's the opposite of coercion. It's just, it's, it's, it's just inviting someone. One definition of evangelism is this, handing out invitations to a party that is out of this world. It's a simple definition. Handing out invitations to a party that is out of this world. Jesus said himself, the kingdom of heaven is a party. 
And he said, he, he sent out invitations and people made their excuses. Remember this story? They said, oh, I'm busy. I've, you know, just bought a field and I've just got married. Can't come. So then Jesus says, well, go out into the highways and the byways. Go to the lame, the broken, the marginalized and compel them to come in. So if, if the posh people don't want it, if, 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 the, if the religious don't want it, the gospel, therefore, is for the marginalized, the broken, the dispossessed, the lonely, the fearful. God's bias is for the poor, even though God, to be sure, loves everyone and longs for all men and women to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, as it says in Peter. And so we're called to invite people, not coerce people, but to invite people. None of us like being pushed and cajoled, do we? A while back, I was uh, at home trying to prepare a sermon, and the landline went, picked up the landline, and it was one of these telesales people. How do they get your number? It's annoying, isn't it? But how do they get your number? Anyway, this telesales person said, hello, uh, morning, sir. I wonder if I could interest you in double glazing. And before, before I even, I didn't even say yes, they, they start their sales pitch. Didn't even wait for the answer. Uh, it was very co- coercive, you know, oh, you're double glazing this, blah, 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 blah. So I stopped and said, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in double glazing. We've already got double glazing in the house. Thank you very much. We don't own the house anyway. It's a vicarage, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so thank you very much. Bye-bye. I was very polite. And they said, okay, fair enough. So I got on with my sermon, and 20 minutes later, the phone goes again. Brr, brr, pick up the phone, and it's a different te- telesales. Not the same, a different telesales person. This time, it's a patio. Uh, I said, sir, come on, can I sell you a patio? And before I even answer, they're trying to sell me patio. So I try a different tack. This time, I said, excuse me, I'm a little bit busy. I'm busy right now. I'm uh, working. I, just, I wondered if um, maybe you could give me your mobile, and I'll ring you, I'll ring you tonight on your, t- on, your, on your time. I'll ring you privately tonight, perhaps we could have this uh, conversation, if you just give me your mobile. So of course the telesales person said, I'm not giving you my private mobile, somewhat indignantly. And I said, well, thank you very much. Now you know how I feel. Goodbye. <laughs> so put the phone down. You know, we do anything that's coerced, we don't like it, do we? So imagine if we do evangelism like that, buttonholing people. And you know, you're born again, you're safe, brother. This is what someone used to say to me when I was at school. I remember there was a guy called Andrew because uh, I was an Anglican, uh, he, he was very suspicious I was not saved, and he, he used to come and put his arm around me, uh, this little kid, this kid, he was a little, little kid called Andrew, and he used to say in his broad Lancashire accent, are you saved, he used to say. I didn't know what it meant, because I was a good Anglican, high church boy at that stage. And I actually was saved, I'd given my life to Christ as a, as a little boy of 11, I actually was saved. But he said, are you saved? I said, I don't know, I, don't, I mean I was, but I didn't know, I was you know, a bit churchified. And, but he was just speaking gobbledygook, and he goes, are you saved, brother? He just said, oh, no idea. But I, didn't, I avoided Andrew. I avoided Andrew, even though I was a Christian. And this is the thing, if we, if we, if we buttonhole people, people might think, oh, you know, get away from that born again, and I'll never want to see one again. We're not, we're not called to just to, to preach good news, are we? We're called to be good news. And coercion is the antithesis of the gospel. And so we can invite people, we invite people to Alpha, we can invite people to church. Some of you might have been invited to church this morning. You're very welcome. Uh, Jack's invited his mum to church. Hello, Jack's mum. You're very welcome. Jack has been a Christian now since April. Jack became a Christian because he was in, invited to church by Margarita. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? So Margarita uh, said, hey, come along to my church. Jack came along to the church. He became a Christian, and he's been seeking to follow Jesus ever since. And it's wonderful to have you, Jack, as part of, part of the family. But you see, it was so easy, Margarita. Um, invited Jack. Jack came to church. Jack became a Christian. Jack is part of the community of faith here. Invitation is so easy. It's, the, it's perhaps my favorite motif uh, for how to do evangelism, perhaps especially uh, for non-evangelists. Okay, the third and final point is this, just three points this morning. And the third one is this, is responsive is better than proactive. Res- responsive is better than proactive. Uh, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is 
that when the seeker is, is, is hooked, so to speak, when the seeker is, is doing all the questions, when the seeker wants to know about this gospel, that is, that is amazing territory. It's the territory of grace. That's actually better than us being preachy and proactive with the gospel. And actually, there's nothing wrong with being proactive with the gospel. But the best form of evangelism is when we find ourselves being responsive. And that is the scenario that Philip found himself in, in this particular scenario with the Ethiopian official. So in verse uh, 34, um, we were told they did a little bit of a Bible study. They were in uh, the Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 53. And then in verse 34, the Ethiopian says this to Philip. He says, tell me please, he says, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so he's asking questions again. It's, it's more questions from Philip. But do you see, it's, 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 the, it's the seeker that's asking the questions. Tell me please, he says. Please tell me. So he wants to know. He really wants to know and Philip is saying, well, you know, it's, it's, it's about Jesus. And he said, Begin, beginning with that passage of Scripture, um, beginning with the Word of God, Philip shared the gospel with him. And it's, we, we know the end of the result is um, the, the Ethiopian says, says, here's water. He says, what's to stop me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip had told him, but it's part of his gospel message, that, uh, that baptism was, 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 was uh, the sacrament, which uh, is incorporation into Christ, and of course, admission to the church. It's the sacrament of belonging, isn't it? So uh, the, the, the Philip, the, the, the Ethiopian says, look, here's water, here's a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a lake or whatever, here's some water. What, what stops me from being, being baptized? You see, the impetus was with the, the seeker. The, the, the guy was on God's hook, so to speak. You know, it's like the, 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 the hook of God was in the mouth of the seeker, and he, he was gripped. He was gripped by this gospel. He was intrigued. He was fascinated. He wasn't bored. And so he said, what is to prevent me from being um, baptized? So, so responsive is better than proactive. A few uh, weeks ago, it was in January, um, I had a meetup with uh, Ashley in, in Southampton. So I came down from Oxford. We met up in South, Southampton. Um, as he got the, the red jet across him, it was a free. It was a freezing cold day. We went for a, what was that restaurant we went to? Um, Nando's, yeah, Nando's, yeah. You wanted to go to Nando's. We went to Nando's, and it was freezing cold. Anyway, in the afternoon, we went to use you know one of these leisure centres in a hotel. There's one of the hotels in Southampton. We went to use uh, the leisure centre, which is brilliant on a freezing cold day. It's freezing outside. Use use the kind of leisure centre. You know the kind of thing. There's a pool there and a jacuzzi and a sauna and a steam room and that kind of thing, and. Um, um, Ashley and I were sat in the, sat in the sauna, in, you know, having had a swim, sat in the sauna. And I said to Ashley, I said, do you want to do a bit of eavesdropping evangelism? And he said, what's that? What's that? And I said, well, eavesdropping evangelism, we just talk about God. And when there's somebody else, there's somebody else there. But we're not talking to, we, we're not talking to them at all. We're just talking about God. Um, but in a way that they, they listen. And they, oh, that's, it's great. They don't feel got at at all because they're just listening in. And obviously, they're in a sauna. It's a wooden box, isn't it? There's nowhere else to go. You're in this wooden box. So he said, yeah, yeah, give it a go. So we were in the... We were in the, the, the sauna, and Pete was there. Pete, there was, we only found out he's called Pete later. Pete was sat in the sauna, and, um, and, the, and Ashley and I were talking. And Ashley uh, st- starts talking about Jordan Peterson. I didn't, I didn't think it was the most promising way to start, to be honest. But it was. He starts talking about Jordan Peterson, who's a, who's a non-Christian philosopher, academic, who's actually not, but, he, but he's really into truth. And so, he, so Ashley's talking about truth and Jordan Peterson and uh, the, the concept of truth like this. Anyway... I'm responding in some way. Pete is sat in the sauna, and Pete says, Pete interrupts us and says, ah, truth, that's interesting, isn't it? So we didn't even, you know, literally, we, we, the eavesdropping thing didn't entirely work because he wasn't happy just to eavesdrop. He interrupted, so Pete, this bloke, how old was he? 50, how old was Pete, about 50? Yeah. Anyway, this bloke, Pete, he just said, ah, truth, that's very interesting, he said. 
he said, I've got a motto about truth. So I said, what is it, Pete? What is your motto about truth? And he said, my motto about truth is this. He said, believe half of, um, half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. That was, that was his motto. Anyway, so I said, I've, I, I said I, you know, Pete, I love the statement by Winston Churchill. He said, what's that? Oh, Churchill. He said, love Churchill. And I said, you know, and this is it. He said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but some pick themselves up and carry on as if nothing had happened. And he said, oh, good one, good one. So sorry, we start with a non-Christian. And then I said, anyway, let me, just, let me just interact. I said, Pete, with your thing about truth, you said, you know, believe 50% of what you see and nothing of what you hear. I said, it depends on who, what the source is. I said, so there are some people I know, I believe nothing of what I hear and nothing of what I see. But I said, there are, you know, maybe one or two people, I'd be, I believe 100% of what I see and 100% of what I hear. And he said, who, who would you believe 100% of what you see and hear? I said, Jesus Christ. I said, good, Jesus is the personification of truth. He said, I am truth. Anyway, won't bore you with the rest, but this, we talked to him for ages, and um, at times you get overheated in the sauna. So I said, Pete, got to go, got to go, got to get out, got out of the sauna. But he came after us, didn't he? He came after us. But one time we went and sat in the jacuzzi. He said, right, here's a question for you. He said, uh, why is it people uh, repent on the, uh, their deathbed? And he said, and does it work if they repent? So sat in the sauna. We had a little bit of sharing of the gospel there. Not in the sauna, that was the jacuzzi, the jacuzzi bit. And I think we, did we have, how can God allow suffering? I can't remember. Oh, no, wait, 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 science and religion, didn't we? And uh, how can God create the world in six days, he said. That was one of his questions. He came back and he said, uh, this creationism. He said, oh, you know, these Christians, how could God create the world in six days? So I gave him an answer to that. And then he said, oh, you floored me there. You're good. You're good. You floored me there. <laughs> and then he walked off and Ashley goes, if only he knew he was talking to a, like a, a, an apologist, someone who does this for a living. Didn't confess to that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, but the point is this, is, is, is respo- respo- we, we shared the gospel a, a bit with this guy, and, and in the end we were just responding, we said, I've got a question, I've got another question, I've got another question for you. And I basically, t- we took the co- gospel to the point where he got slightly, you could tell he got, he got slightly prickly, and uh, as in he was, he, there was a thing where he was losing it, when, this is when I was telling him he needed to receive Christ, and he got more emphatic about the gospel there, gave him the White Jesus book. At this point he was losing interest, and so then I backed off. Because, because a little tip is that when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, I share the gospel to the point of resistance. Don't go beyond. When you, when you de- detect a little bit of resistance, stop. Because, uh, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not called to be coercive. We're called to invite, invite people to, uh, to, the, to the feast, aren't we? So I've, I've run out of time. And, um, but those are th- three uh, tips then um, from, three tips from, from Philip. Um, ask questions. Don't just, you know. Uh, we've got uh, uh, you know, two ears and one mouth. Ask, ask questions. Jesus asked. Um, invitation is better than coercion. Don't do anything that's manipulative or controlling or pushy in any way. And remember, invitation, invite people to Alpha, invite people to church. Invitation is, is one of the key motifs of the gospel. And responsive is better than proactive. Just pray for those opportunities where we can be provocative about the good news of Jesus Christ. And hopefully, a bit like Pete, you know, you, you might ha- meet someone or like the two workmen who were moving my office in Oxford. You might get to a p- position where people really are hooked and they're asking you, what about this? What about this? What about this, this question? And then weave the gospel, weave the good news into your, uh, into your answers. And who, and who knows, if it's appropriate, you could actually throw it out there. Do you, do you want to become a Christian? Would you like to give your life to Christ? And, uh, and you, you might have the privilege of praying with someone to, to do that and then pointing them, of course, to a community of faith. Uh, because true conversion is conversion to Christ, but it's conversion to his cause, the cause of the gospel of the kingdom of God, but it's conversion to his community. So we live out our faith in the community of faith. Well, I'm just going to pray uh, now at the end, having run out of time of, as, as we have. And I'm going uh, to pray that the, the Lord might uh, equip all of us to be effective witnesses 
uh, to, the good, to the good news. But before I do that, I want to throw out a, a, a prayer for anyone who might want to become a Christian here this morning. You might think that's a bit weird. This sermon is not at all designed for non-believers. It's designed, of course, for Christians. But, uh, you know, but there's been something of the gospel in what I've been, been sharing. Obviously, as I've been sharing about doing evangelism, there's something of, of, the, of, the, of the gospel, of course, that, that God created us, and it's possible to know him through Jesus Christ. It's possible to be a true Christian, a follower of Christ. If you want to become a true Christian, maybe you've never prayed a prayer to actually invite Christ into your life, like the two builders uh, in Oxford, like Jack did um, back, in, back in April when he gave his life to Christ. So here's a prayer that you can pray. Now, this is the prayer. It simply says, Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I turn from my sin to your son, my sin, everything I've done wrong, said wrong, and thought wrong, to your son, Jesus Christ. And then it says, fill me with your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God. He comes to live within you when you give your life to Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me live my life for you. Amen. So I'm going to pray this prayer and pause at the end of each line. I just invite you, if you want to be a Christian, become a Christian, become a follower of Jesus, just make this your own prayer. Pray it with the faith that you, that you have. And I believe that if you do that in faith, believing this, that God will answer your prayer, God will fill you with his Holy Spirit, that he will change you, that he will enable you to become his child, his son, or his daughter by adoption, and that you can know him, you can know his presence, and uh, you can know peace and joy uh, in this life of suffering. We're not immune from suffering, but we can know his peace, we can know his joy, even in the midst of, uh, of, of, of this, the, the life that, that, that we live, which is so often not easy, it's often very difficult. So let's just bow our heads uh, to, to pray. So uh, as I pray that prayer, I'm going to pray. If, you're going to, if you are going to pray this prayer, perhaps for the first time, maybe as a recommitment to Christ, um, just as we've got our heads bowed, just, just perhaps raise your right hand where you are. Just in the church, perhaps just raise your right hand where you are if you're praying this prayer as a, a commitment uh, or as a, a, a recommitment uh, uh, to Christ. Thank you. Do, do just put, put your, you can put your hand down now. So uh, this is for um, a couple of people. A couple of people, you may, you may not have raised your hand. doesn't matter. God can still, still answer this prayer. Of course he can. But for these two people, it might be more who've prayed this prayer. So here, here it is. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I turn from my sin to your Son. From everything I've done wrong, said wrong, and thought wrong, to Jesus Christ, who did no wrong. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me live my life for you. Amen. And those, the, perhaps those two in particular, I mean, do come and ch chat to me at the end. I'd be delighted to talk with you and pray for you. Uh, uh, if you, if you, uh, it's, it's important that uh, having given your life to Christ, that uh, uh, you grow as a Christian, which involves prayer and getting to know the scriptures and being part of a church. You'd be very, very welcome in this church if you're not part of this church already, but it'd be good to talk uh, to you after. Let me just pray, pray for you. So, Father, I pray for those two or indeed any, anyone else um, who uh, didn't indicate but prayed that prayer with, with faith, perhaps for the first time or, or indeed as a recommitment to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for them now. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. Fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. May they know your presence. May they know your power. May they know that they, that you're for, that they are forgiven. May they know, Jesus, that uh, you died for them. And Father, may they live for you. And just like a plant needs air and light and water, Father, may they grow in prayer, speaking to you. May they hear your voice through the scriptures, through the Bible. And Father, may they live out their faith in, in, the, in, the, in a community of faith, perhaps this community 
of, of faith, Lord. Help them uh, follow you in company, uh, we pray. So bless them, we pray. Amen. And a prayer, a quick prayer for the rest of us. And so, Father, for all of us, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meditate on your word today. Uh, we realize, Lord, as we meditate on your word, the scriptures, there's so much in, in, in your word, the Bible, and uh, just three things. There's far, far more, but just three things to draw out of this amazing story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us, Lord, be those who don't just speak but ask questions. Uh, Lord, may we be those who, who never pushy or manipulative with people, but may we invite people to the feast, invite people to the party, because it is a party. The kingdom of heaven is a party. And may we invite people to the party, uh, Lord. Invite people to Alpha, invite people to, to church services. Just invite people to know the good news, to hear the good news. And Lord, give us opportunities, Lord. Uh, Lord, and this is scary for some of us, but give us opportunities to gossip the gospel. Give us opportunities, Lord, with uh, maybe strangers, but it could be people we know, our non-Christian colleagues or friends or members of our family. Give us opportunity to speak. Lord, in fact, may we live lives that ask forth questions, that call forth questions. There's that verse, Father, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in, in you. And Lord, we realize that, that passage in Peter, it presupposes that the Christians are living lives that call forth questions. So may we live lives that call forth questions. And, uh, but Lord, uh, may, we be prepared, may we be prepared to answer. Lord, may we, may we have opportunities to, to share your good news. Uh, to, to, uh, may we break fear in us, Lord. So, so, so many of us are fearful. That, what if we get it wrong, Lord? Well, we're almost certainly not going to get it wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we do almost. Uh, Lord, it's better to say uh, something rather than nothing. So may we speak, Lord. Give us opportunities to speak. And may we, uh, may we speak. And uh, Lord, bring us to those moments, Lord. Bring us a moment, Lord, perhaps where um, the, the seeker, the non-Christian, is asking us so many questions. What is this about you? What about this? What about this? That, that, that we're in that position of being responsive rather than proactive, that we're simply answering their questions. And, may, and give us wisdom to weave in the gospel to our answers, Lord. And, uh, and then, Lord, may we point them on, point, point them on to something else, maybe inviting them to Alpha or church, whatever it might be. But, Lord, if it's right, maybe, maybe we, we, we dare to even throw out that question, do you want to? give your life to Christ. And if they do, Lord, may, may some of us here who have n never had, I, just, I pray that, I actually, I pray, I prophesy it even, that some of us here who've never had that privilege ever in our Christian lives, and that's most Christians, by the way, I think, uh, that some of us here who've never had that privilege to be at the end of the process and say, would you like to pray to receive Christ? And, uh, and the person says, yes, that the people here who've never had that opportunity will have that opportunity um, uh, before this year's out. Before this year's out, they may have had that opportunity to pray, have the great privilege of, of, of praying with someone and, 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 and leading them to Jesus Christ and then, um, and then pointing them to a, a church where they can grow. So, Father, I, pr I, I, I pray that for each of us. Give us confidence, we pray. Give us boldness, we pray. And, Father, just like we were thinking earlier, Lord, may we, may we, may we share good news from the overflow. So set our hearts on fire with such love for you, Jesus Christ. May we be intrigued by the gospel, not bored, but intrigued by the gospel, that people might be intrigued by us, intrigued by the church, intrigued by our Christian walk, we pray, that we, point, that we might point many women and men to you, and pointing them to you, Jesus Christ, they might have life in your name. And we pray in your name, amen.